Hello and welcome back to the Full Circle Music Show. This is your host, Seth Mosley. We've got a great guest here in the house today, and he goes by the name X. Yes, you heard it right, the letter X. He's here in the studio with us today. He's going to share a bit of his story and talk about the blood, sweat, and tears that go into making a career. He's a producer, he's an engineer, he's a mixer, instrumentalist, all of the above. And he's doing amazing work, so you're going to learn a lot from this episode today. I know I did. All right, let's jump into the show. Here in the studio today with Michael X O'Connor. Yes, you heard it right. He goes by the letter X. How many people know your name, Michael? Very few people do. Oh, I think my girlfriend might be the only one that occasionally calls me Michael. Other than that, nobody. So X, not EX. No, 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 just the letter. Just the letter. I actually have it tattooed right here on my arm, which no one can see, but I'm showing you guys. What's the story behind X? Well, well that's a pretty awesome name. Well, <laughs> thank you. When I was younger, I was way into extreme sports. I did a lot of like cliff diving, you know, rock climbing. I was a swimmer. You know, not that that's crazy extreme or anything. But anyway, I just earned this reputation as being way into extreme sports. So people started calling me extreme. And then I was waiting tables at a restaurant and extreme was too long to write in the server name. So I just got shortened to X. And it kind of stuck from there. So it's perfect. I like it. And it's kind of, it gives you like a mystere. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, who is this person? Yeah. It's, it's one letter. I'm a fan. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. Well, today is kind of a little bit of a meet the team episode. In case you guys don't know out there, Full Circle Music, a large part of what you hear is thanks to this guy, X. And a lot of people know him. A lot of people have the chance to work with him. But a lot of people at the same time don't because. He is the man behind the curtain a lot of the time, <laughs> making things sound amazing, making songs turn out as hits, <laughs> making things turn from trying good to great. <laughs> trying to help. I kind of just wanted to hear a little bit of your story. We've known each other for, you know, coming up on four years now, something yeah. like that. Yeah, it's been a long time. When did you know that you wanted to get into music? Was it when you were a kid? Was it after you went to college? What's your story with that? I think I started to really enjoy music probably around like 13 is when I started playing guitar, doing stuff like that. Like I said earlier, I was, I was really into swimming and marine biology was actually something I really, really, really wanted to do. Mm. So I was just kind of playing guitar, playing in bands, but I was, I was way into boats and all this stuff. And then one day I just got so tired of water that... I quit swimming, quit doing boating, stuff like that. And marine biology became not something I wanted to do anymore at all. And this was when I was getting a little more serious about playing in bands and stuff like that. So we started, you know, making little recordings in our basements and garages and all that. So I was kind of learning, you know, I had a little Tascam four track to cassette kind of recorder thing. I was just kind of playing around with that. And then my mom's cousin lived in Florida, and she told me about a school called Full Sail. And I went down there my junior year of high school and took a look. And if, well, I mean, this was in like 1999 or 2000. At that time, if you went down there and looked at that place, there was no way you were not going to that school. Like, they sold it hard. So I signed up right then and there, and they accepted me in. So 2001, I went down to Full Sail and decided, let's give this thing a shot. You know, I, I, was, I signed up to do recording and live sound, but I ended up just doing the recording. 
because halfway through it, I just realized, you know, hey, this is awesome. I like I couldn't get enough of it. I went to every single class. Any time I could be in the studio, I, I just did it. Anytime we weren't in the studio, me and my lab group friends, we were at home like working on our little rigs and we had a band. So we were like recording our own stuff in our own time. It was 24 seven recording. And that that school, I, I'm pretty sure it runs the same way now, but it was like 24 hours a day. We were doing 16 hours of class at least a day, every day of the week. It was just like breathing music, sleeping music, eating music the whole time. It was just nonstop. So what do you think the difference is? You said you got tired of water. You got tired of marine biology. What is it about music and recording that you have not gotten tired of? Well, I think for me, all of that stuff kind of got really repetitive. I think being a swimmer, it just burned me out. I got to a point where I wanted to experience life and not be constantly training constantly doing all this other stuff and for me swimming was just like just this repetitive thing like i couldn't go out at night because i had 4 a.m practices i couldn't you know i had to after school i had to go straight to workouts and then straight to work after that it just became like just a real drag on my life and you know i was playing music and i wanted to be able to like you know we were staying up till like three in the morning and then i was missing swim practices because i was staying up late and finally, it just became too much. I couldn't commit to two different things, and I had just had enough. I was figuring out that music's what I wanted to do. My dad put a pool in. I didn't even go in the pool for like five years. I just couldn't. I couldn't deal with that stuff anymore. I just wanted to. I just wanted to keep making music. So you went to Full Sail. How many years was that? I was fourteen months. I think I was there. So fourteen months of twenty-four-seven, and then, you know, did you just get hired right out of that and become, you know, Nashville's next? Big mega producer? I did not. I left Full Sail after I graduated. I wanted to move to Seattle initially, went up there, applied for some internships, interviewed at studios. All the people there were like, hey, this is great. We can totally hook you up with an internship, but that's probably as far as we can go. The music scene here is really, you know, (laughs) really dying. So I was kind of bummed. So I went back to Florida and I was just sitting there listening to some records and I started noticing some of the records I was listening to they were made in Nashville and at a studio called Soundstage Studios specifically and so I talked to my dad and he's like hey you got nothing else to do why don't you just drive up to Nashville and see what this is about so I called Soundstage and the studio manager's like yeah the faster you can get here to interview the better so I drove up literally that night the next morning interviewed with her this was like a Wednesday She's like, this is great. When can you start interning? I mean, we can't guarantee you a staff position, but, you know, if you work hard, you know, we'll do our best for you. And I was like, well, it's Wednesday. I got to drive back to Florida. I can be here Monday. So literally drove back to Florida. My dad flew in, packed up all my stuff. I didn't even have an apartment. I just drove back to Nashville, stayed in a hotel and uh, had all my stuff in storage and then started interning. And that was that was nonstop. So you said they couldn't guarantee you a staff position. So you came up to Nashville, moved here, didn't have a job, didn't have an apartment, had your stuff in storage, but you jumped into interning. That's a pretty big step. That's a pretty big leap of faith. Yeah, 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 it is. Luckily, I had saved up for college and I had a little bit of money still in my like reservoir of funds. I had had some friends that were also thinking of moving here. They had to have jobs while they interned. I gratefully did not, or at least I had four months that I figured I could 
just totally devote myself to interning and just seeing if this was really going to work. Because you're, when I started interning, there was like six other guys that started the same day I did. So it's not like you were just assured a position. You had to like really prove yourself. So I was able, because I didn't have to get another job, I was able to just fully focus on working. So I had the day shift, which started at 7 in the morning and went to about 5 at night, which is when the night shift worked. So when I finally got an apartment, it was by the airport here in Nashville, which at night, that's the way traffic is really bad. So I got in the habit of not going home at 5 because the traffic was just so bad, I just decided to stay at the studio and wait it out. And that ended up being a blessing because people started asking me to do stuff. The night manager was always short-staffed, and he was like, hey, if you're sticking around for a couple hours, can you do this? Can you do that? So... My staying till 5.30 or 6 started turning into 7.30 or 8. And sometimes it just started turning into working both shifts. So it would be 7 a.m. to sometimes 3 or 4 a.m. And then coming right back around at 7 a.m. And just, you know, getting as much in as I could. And through that, people learning that they could rely on me, learning that they could trust me to do certain things as we had to change rooms over at the time we were still using tape machines and like radar systems so every room every night had to be switched over from whatever was in it to whatever the next session the next day had and since I had helped with the setups if there were problems during the day I typically was the one they'd come to to help troubleshoot the problems because I had set it up so it was just kind of being thrown into it and learning as fast as you can on the fly it was very it was crazy there's something to be said of having a pretty significant advantage moving, and that's really your one commitment. Do you think you had an advantage on the other? You said there was four of you guys. Do you think you had the advantage because you weren't working another job? They were working, so that means they didn't have the opportunity to go work there from 7 to 3 in the morning. They had to go work somewhere else. Yeah, I think it was definitely an advantage. Like, had I had, I had to work, another job there was no way I could have committed as much time as I did so yeah I I consider myself really lucky and I've had a lot of friends now too that have foregone some conventional education and saved their money to support themselves while they get more real life on the job style training like an internship would be or like well at the time an internship was a very educational process because they <laughs> they entrusted you with a ton and held you accountable even though they were not paying you anything. So yeah, I think it was a very a very big leg up on some of the competition and it just it just allowed me to gain the trust and gain the knowledge I needed to eventually become a staff person at Soundstage and in turn just kind of growing from there. Well, if I'm if I'm a studio manager and I've got this guy who's been around pretty much 24-7 for four months, you know, giving his blood, sweat, and tears, not getting paid for it, learning, proving himself trustworthy. Of course, you're the guy that we're going to hire because it's just a no-brainer. So what role in getting hired do you feel like your education played? Did it have any, or do you feel like you had to learn stuff all over again after you kind of got out? What, what do you feel like that meant to you? I think my education gave me a very solid base for where to start. One of the big things at Soundstage in particular was gear repair and maintenance of the rooms. And a lot of the kids that had not gone to school didn't necessarily know how to solder, 
didn't know how to read schematics, stuff like that. I did know how to do that. So the other side of Soundstage's business is actually a gear repair company. So I was able to get little jobs here and there at night, like repairing gear, helping recap consoles, stuff like that. So it definitely gave me a base knowledge. But the one thing at school is everything always is working, or at least while I was there, it was very well maintained. Whereas when I got to Soundstage, like <laughs> troubleshooting there was absolute chaos. Like you're on a tracking session and all of a sudden channels of the console literally have smoke coming out of them. And it's like, okay, deal with that. <laughs> so you just kind of like you, well, as an intern, you start by watching and then you slowly become accustomed to seeing these kinds of things and realizing this is the process I need to go through now to remedy this situation. So it full sale gave me a great base knowledge for me to build on for sure. But then there's just only so much you can get from book knowledge versus putting it to work in the real world. You know, all bets are off once you get into the real world. And you probably get into the real world and see, okay, how you're working with this producer, he does stuff completely different than we technically learn by the book. You know, so how much do you feel like you learn just by being an intern and being in the room watching? Uh, you, you learn a ton. Just, there's only so much theory you can... Like, okay, a compressor does this, like this control does that, you know, attack, release, threshold, all that. It, you know what it does, but actually seeing and moreover hearing how these, at Soundstage, we had some large name mixers and producers come through and being able to sit in and hear, like see what they're doing, but hear the difference of like, this is how this works when I do this with it. It's, you know, you can only read so much, but actually hearing like different people's interpretations of how gear works. There's no right or wrong way to use all this stuff. It's just how it works when you do what you do to it. Yeah. So you get hired as a staff engineer. Uh, yes. Your first job, first staff paid engineer. job. Yep. Yep. I got hired on a soundstage had nine rooms at the time. So I was actually given an entire facility called Blueberry Hill, which does not exist, but it was in the Berry Hill neighborhood here in Nashville. And I had two rooms in that facility. I had a large format tracking room with a Neve VR 70 channel, I think. And then we had a small overdub room that had an SSL 4000 that I believe was a 64 channel. So pretty much all day, every day, I assisted two rooms, set up tracking dates. When you do tracking dates, this was back on radar, so I had to sit there. I operated the tape machine slash radar machine. So you had to follow the charts and write down the numbers so you knew how to locate if anyone needed punches. Then you, you know, you take down all the union information and make sure everything's up to date. And then you tear the session down, normal everything out, and set up for the next night. You run the backups, you do all that stuff. At my room, I had to actually clean both rooms. We did not have a maid. So, yeah, it was 7 a.m. till often 2 or 3 in the morning every single day because I had to be there every day. Initially, when you're a staff guy, you typically only get paid when you're physically working sessions. So the first few months were, had to be there seven days a week to answer phones from eight to five, but I had to technically be there from seven to whenever it was done. Were you loving it though? I was absolutely loving it. It was awesome because also when people weren't there, I could do whatever I wanted there. So I was able to like you know, guys that were doing writing demos or whatever, I'd ask them if I really liked a song, I'd ask, hey, is it okay if I save one of these to my Exabyte tape? Like, because 
radar used exabyte to back up. So what what is that, by the way? <laughs> a lot of the new people coming up who might be listening to this have no idea what radar, what exabyte, which kind of sounds like a dinosaur fossil it, or something. It kind of looked like a dinosaur fossil. So okay, radar was kind of the bridge between analog tape machines and like modern DAWs. So pretty much it worked like a tape machine, but it recorded digitally to a hard drive. So there was, you could attach a monitor to it, but it just showed you waveforms. But you had like a big remote like you used to with the Studers that had play, record, you could record arm all the tracks. So yeah, it was like a big digital tape machine for the most part. And then Exabyte is like this tape that's a little bigger than like a micro cassette. And it is just a digital data tape pretty much so you just pop it in there and it would just back up to that tape so that's what everything's recorded onto uh well everything was recorded onto hard drive and then backed up to exabyte gotcha so you'd take their songs and their sessions and then what you would go kind of mess with them tweak on them learn learn how to yeah i would well i would ask permission first <laughs> i'd be like hey is it cool i really like this tune can i save one of these to my exabyte to have to play around with or whatever and most you worked enough with the same songwriters that you kind of grew a rapport with them and they'd be like, yeah, sure, why not? You know, mess around with it. So I, yeah, I would save them and then when no one was in the room, I would put it in, load it onto the drives and then just kind of start learning how to mix, learning uh, that console had flying faders, so learning how to work flying faders better so when I was assisting mix sessions, I knew what was going on or if they had problems, how to work with it. And just learning gear, that room had a lot of cool vintage gear, had a ton of Pultex, a lot of Fairchilds, and just, you know, having never seen anything like that in school, you know, we had a lot more modern stuff. That's all recording equipment for people out there who it is. don't know. Yeah, Fairchilds <laughs> expensive are, recording equipment. Yeah, Fairchilds are very old compressors, and Pultex are very old, like, program equalizers. And the guy that owned this room with Soundstage had a lot of really cool vintage gear put in there. So it was cool to just put stuff on the desk and learn the desk better, learn learn how the EQs work, compressors worked. Just, you know, figuring out, like, what I liked mix-wise. You know, just, I'd start making mixes and printing them off, and <laughs> it's so sad, but there were still cassettes at that time. So sometimes running cassettes because they were cheaper to buy from Soundstage, or if I bought my own CDs, I'd burn CDs off it and listen to them in the car and see what happened, then go back in and work some more and then bring it back out to the car and see what happened just you know to just to keep doing it you know it sounds like a big part of what has given you the ability to make a living recording music and producing music has been your ability to be two steps ahead and to be prepared and do those things so that when you come in and producer or engineer or whoever you're working with needs something done you've already done it yeah i think being prepared is a big part of you know, not only in music, but in life, you know, trying to just, I love learning. I always have loved learning and just being able to anticipate things, I think just is a solid quality to have. It makes me feel more comfortable. I don't like being in situations where I'm just completely out of my element. It's fun for learning, but at the same time, I like to be able to anticipate things. I like I really feed off of other people, so if I'm working with producers or, or other engineers or artists, I like being able to interpret what they're saying and just kind of go from it, you know? And having the base knowledge that I got, you know, not only from school, but just from ongoing practice through doing this, it's really given me a good foundation of how to interpret things and, you know, just continue to make fun, cool sounds and, I don't know, do 
cool things. Yeah, so you guys out there, I'm sure, are gathering that X is definitely tuned in to being a team player. And that's one of the things we love about him. That's one of the things that a lot of artists who come through here love about him. And it's his ability to, you know, just contribute to the energy of a room and to, you know, when there's a problem, fix it. One thing that I've noticed being in session with X is that if there's something going wrong with the computer or the interface or a microphone, the artist a lot of the times will never even really know it. They'll never even really know anything's going wrong and he's kind of remedying it and making everybody feel comfortable. So how did you learn that skill of being able to, you know, work under pressure and make people feel really comfortable at the same time? That was definitely a soundstage thing. They were very big on nothing is ever wrong. Like, nothing's wrong. Never tell the client anything is wrong. That was one big thing I I did learn from there. It was never tell them you don't know something and never tell them anything's wrong. If you don't know, figure it out. And whether that's asking somebody or just running through the problem in your head, it's just a matter of artists work better when they're relaxed. So just make them feel comfortable. And that's kind of been something that I've just tried to do since then, you know, just keep the mood light and being able to multitask, being able to like reassure people or, you know, help people while you're figuring something out, you know, just keeping things working. Like if the artist in the vocal booth and, you know, the mic pre is getting stuttery or whatever, I just try to keep talking to them, keep them engaged on something while I'm figuring out why it's doing it. Obviously, I need them talking to sort the problem out. So you just kind of try to converse and kind of troubleshoot as you go through. Is it this? Is it that? You know, repatch something real quick while they're, you know, listening or listening to you talk. You know, it's just been an ongoing learning process of just trying. It's kind of like putting your best foot forwards. There's always, you don't want anything to seem wrong. You just kind of calmly deal with it. You know, the, as big of a problem as you might have currently, you've probably had bigger problems before. So just if the computer's acting up, there's basic troubleshooting steps. You know, you just keep the room calm while you're going through and just be like, hey, you know, what, what do you think about this? Oh, just give me a second. We're just doing this here. You know, give one, you know, one second, one second, guys. Just, yeah. You just keep it flowing. It's awesome. It's a great quality to have. If you can think back over... So coming out of full sale, getting your education, starting interning, getting hired on as a, a staff engineer, fast forward to today, and you have a Grammy Award and Dove Awards on your mantle. What does that feel like to kind of see that progression come to life? It's definitely surreal. You don't, well, me personally, you know, you think, oh, that'd be awesome to do one day. That would be so cool, but it doesn't seem like realistically maybe anything you're gonna do like you just kind of go in winning a grammy you mean yeah yeah like you just kind of go in making cool music you know for me personally i'd never really thought about nominations or anything like that is especially starting at soundstage you're just kind of working on songwriting demos and you know gradually you're working on cooler records and all of a sudden you're working on exclusively on like masters it's awesome. It's awesome to have had happen. But at the same time, you're kind of just, you're making music, you know? you just Every day, it's just an adventure. It's a brand new thing. And it still seems surreal that, you know, <laughs> that we've won all that stuff. But at the same time, it's waking up and keeping on going and, you know, just keep making the best music we can. Yeah. Well, I love, I love that attitude. And I hope you guys are getting that out there that 
hey, you know, it's the awards are cool, but it's really more about doing the work, showing up every day, uh, making the artists really feel comfortable and shine through their best version of themselves. So the last thing I kind of want to touch on is the thing that a lot of people out there probably don't even really realize goes into making a record, and that is the revision process. Yes. So when I first came to Nashville, and I don't know if you can relate to this, I, I was kind of shocked that you know we'd go hire X or Y or Z mix guy and pay him two three $3,000 a song or whatever we'd pay him, and then he'd do the mix and we'd walk in and say, Hey, okay, what are your changes? And I was like, uh, so first of all, I was just like, so this guy is willing to like, listen to us. Like we're not the experts. I mean, talk about that. I mean, revisions are such a huge part and that involves a lot of patience and really being a team player. So can you talk about that in the production process? Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely, especially with digital recording now, it's become a lot more efficient to do as well. So a song is an art form, you know, music's an art form, and everyone interprets it a little differently. Like the producer and the artist will obviously be pretty close to on the same page throughout, you know, throughout the process of creating it. But you have to have an open mind as everyone hears things differently. You know, it's not uncommon for we'll get a song in and we'll start the demo and it'll go this whole one direction. And then it could be any one piece of that direction that just spawns a whole new idea where it's like you present the song and it's like this is awesome but what if we and then all of a sudden the, it could be the most minor change ever but it could be a huge scene change a huge direction change but it all spawns off of what people are hearing it, it spawns off the emotion of the music that's there it's a never-ending process like the revision process is it can get out of hand sometimes but the most most of the time it's just it's servicing the song you want it to be as great as great as it can be and all every little tweak matters you know it, whether it's just redirection re-singing changing lines you know changing tones changing sounds it's just a matter of getting it to where everyone everyone loves it and in the end that's what we're here to do we're here to service the song service the artist and you know just make the best and coolest music we you know we possibly can that's awesome well that word's popping up a lot in the podcast service so thanks x for uh being here with us today thank you for having me one of the things i love about x's production is he knows how to get a killer drum sound and uh live drums program drums all the above and if you guys out there are kind of wondering how he does what he does and how the pros are getting their drums to sound so huge Go to fullcirclemusic.org slash X. That's fullcirclemusic.org slash X. And he's created a free report, 10 Steps to Getting a Better Live Drum Sound. It's going to change your mixes. It's going to revolutionize and getting your drums hitting super hard. Check it out. Again, fullcirclemusic.org slash X. You've been listening to the Full Circle Music Show. Make sure to head over to iTunes, leave us a good rating, a good review. That means a lot to us, and it helps us get going as we're getting this show off the ground. Editing help this week, thanks to Jericho Scroggins. Check us out at fullcirclemusic.org slash podcasts. And once again, head over to fullcirclemusic.org slash X and get your free report of 10 tips to a better drum sound. We'll see you next week.